the guys that with with me, we had a great time last weekend, but I tell you what, it's just so good to be home and um, to see you guys again and enjoy that weekend, that Saturday yesterday. It was just, it's just been an amazing weekend already. So glad to see you here. I noticed that a lot of those that, that uh, worked on the wedding yesterday aren't here themselves, so apparently they wore themselves out. By the way, I had no idea that Christine uh, was such an amazing carpenter. Christine Hoffman actually built this cross. I had no idea. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you need any carpentry work, de decks built, garages, whatever, just call Christine. She's happy to jump in there and do it. From what she said, she loves to spend other people's money, okay? So if you got money, she wants to help you spend it, and she'll build a deck while she does it. It's amazing. Really, uh, it was so, so much yesterday was so, so good. I, 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 I could go on and on and on, but I, I shouldn't do that, I, I don't suppose. I want to uh, get us back into Colossians. Uh, we're about to enter the Easter season, so next Sunday what the plan is, and unless the Lord changes it, but what the plan will be next Sunday morning is to come in and enjoy some extended worship and share communion together, and maybe reflect a little bit on the Last Supper, and, uh, from, from which flows that, uh, that, uh, that ordinance. We'll talk about that next weekend, and, and kind of get into an Easter mood, if you will, as we approach the Easter season. But I do want to spend today getting back into the book of Colossians. I, I have enjoyed this book so much, not only because of its rich doctrinal teachings regarding Christ, but also because of the practicality of it and, and the, te the, the practical aspects that flow out of the fact that Jesus Christ, there's nobody like him. And he has paid an incredible price for you and me to redeem us from our life of sin, to free us. He has done so much for us. Our entire identity is hidden in him. And out of that then flows our lifestyles, our practices, our, you know, just everything about us flows out of this new identity that we have been given in Christ Jesus. And we, so we've been talking the last couple of weeks about some of the practicalities of living for Christ. Um, and uh, today we're going to be talking about one of the, oh goodness, one of the more prominent aspects of our life, work. What does Jesus have to do with work? Everything. Just as he has to, everything to do with our family relationships, Jesus has everything to do with our work, our work ethic, our, our, uh, our work attitudes, the relationships we have with, at work. It's all about Jesus, guys. Boil all of our life down. It comes down to one person, and it's not you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I've, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times, I think. Pastor Mark, instead of working a normal job, I wish I could dedicate all my time to working for the Lord. Some of you said that to me this week. And I understand what people are trying to say when they say something like that. So most of the time, I'll just kind of nod my head and agree with them and but inwardly, truthfully, inwardly, I'm, I'm kind of cringing because it reveals a basic misunderstanding about what the Bible has to say about work. The Bible tells us we're always working for the Lord, whether it's inside a church or not. So I, I want to, as I set this up, this message from Colossians up, I want to kind of provide you, if you will, a, a brief summary of uh, of the Bible's teaching on the doctrine of 
work. We need to know something about the theology of work. There is a theology behind our, uh, behind our work, and I, I want to help clarify any misunderstanding you might have today before we start talking about the practical aspects of working. The first thing I want you to know about the theology of work is this. We are created to work. You and I have been created by God to work. Genesis 2.15 says, Before the fall of man, even before sin entered the world and messed things up, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You and I have a divine mandate to work. You and I were created, are created, to work. But after the fall, after sin entered the world and after sin messed things up, Work became much more difficult for us. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, here's where the rubber's starting to meet the road. After the fall, work became so much more difficult for us. In Genesis 3, 17 through 19, it says to Adam, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, say that with me, sweat of your, that just doesn't sound like fun, does it? By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground from, uh, since from you, since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. So the second thing I, we need to understand about the theology of work is this, because of the fall, work has become much more difficult for us. Work now for us involves toil and sweat, thorns and thistles. Or in 21st century lingo, work involves stress and overtime, demanding bosses and boring meetings, annoying co-workers and crazy customers. Those are now the thorns and the thistles we have to deal with. Crazy drivers on the interstate. Incredibly long commute times traffic jams. But even though work can be difficult, even though work can be difficult, and it now has it, all these issues that come with it, work is still part of God's original plan for you and me. His divine mandate for us to work didn't change with the fall. He created us to work, and we've got to understand that. He create, that's why we can't, that, that's why we always feel like we've got to do something. We can't just sit there, feel like we got to do something all the time, which is an issue with us, and that's why God gave us a seventh day called the Sabbath in which we are to rest. Okay, but that's another sermon altogether. Let's get back to work. There's something else that we as Christ followers need to understand about work that's important for us today as we get into this Colossians teaching. All work is sacred. I want you to write that down. I want you to memorize it. I want you to think about it. I want you to meditate on it. I want this to become part and parcel of who you are. All work is sacred. All work is sacred. Colossians 3.17, we talked about it just a couple of weeks ago, says this, and whatever you do, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. All work is sacred. Everything we do as followers of Christ Jesus ought to be done in the name of the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. Including work. Can I get a real amen there? Come on. Amen. Listen, we might, we might want and we are tempted to divide work into two kinds, sacred and secular. 
And the church, listen to me carefully, and the church seems to have created two classes of workers, those who work inside the church and those who work outside the church, but that's not the way God sees it. Okay? That's not the way God sees it. Because I stand on this platform behind this pulpit and I've got the title of pastor doesn't make my work any more sacred than the work you do tomorrow morning when you go to that retail store and punch numbers on that cash register or when you get behind the wheel of that that, uh, 18-wheeler and drive it down the highway. Listen, in the eyes of God, your work is just as sacred as my work. Let there be no doubt about that. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. Okay? We might want to see it differently, but that's not the way God sees it. God sees all work as being sacred in his eyes. Here's what we need to get back to, guys. There's this this old word that we used to use a lot called vocation, vocational training. Have you heard that word before, vocation? The The word used to be used a lot. We have vocational education. Now we've got, what, technology or something like that or, you know, I don't know. The word vocation actually means calling. You know that Richard Godwin has a calling to drive a pickup uh, pick truck, an 18-wheeler, just as I have a calling to pastor. Dr. Bob had a, had a calling on his life to be a doctor, a medical doctor, just as John Trahan had a call in his life to be a chaplain. Richard's calling on his life is just as important as God's calling on my life. God's calling on Dr. Bob's life is just as important as God's calling on John's life. In the eyes of God, he takes us and places us strategically, intentionally, gives us gifts and and, and educational backgrounds that prepare us for those. Listen, all work is sacred in the eyes of God. I've got to move on. I'm chasing a rabbit trail. Let me get back. Sorry, I'm real passionate about this because we sell ourselves short. You guys understand, you go to places I'll never go. You you speak truth into people's lives, I'll never ever meet them. Your calling is just as important as mine. My calling as a pastor is to equip you and send you out so that you can do what God has called you to do wherever you are sent by him to do it, right? I'll never go some places. I'll never be able to go to your workplace. They probably have locks on the door to keep people like me out. But there you go, boldly, right into that place as his light, as, as his ambassador, as his representative. And I'm telling you, don't sell yourself short. God has called you, just as he has called me, to be his ambassador to your workplace. Let me get back. See, what I'm afraid is, so many of us have, as Christians, we have bought into a worldly way of looking at work. We bought into a worldly way of looking at work. The world sees work as means to an end. To the world, work is just the means needed to get more money, to get a newer car, to get a fatter pension, to uh, make a better life for their kids. To the world, work is simply a means people use to get the things they want. They see work as a necessary evil. The world sees work as a necessary evil that just helps them get what they want. And as Christians, I'm afraid, we have also bought into that worldly perspective. We often see our work in exactly the same way. We may try to put a more Christ-like spin on it, 
But, but a lot of Christians still see work as a means to an end. We work to give more to the church. We work to provide for our families. We work to retire early so we can go on the mission field. But we still see work as a means to an end, right? That's not biblical. That's not biblical. I want The Bible says that we, that we should not see work as a necessary evil that helps us get what we want or do what we want to do in the eyes of God. Biblically speaking, work is so much more than that. Work itself is sacred. Work itself is sacred. Work itself is good. Work itself is worship. Would you just say that with me? I, I, I hope you're not quiet because you're like, oh, he's stupid. I hope you're, you're quiet because work itself is worship. Say it. Work itself is worship. Work itself is for the glory of God. When you show up at work, when you show up at work, you are there to glorify God just as much as if you were here at church. We'll talk a little bit. We'll get y'all looking at me like, you're so dumb, man. What do you mean? The Bible says this in a nutshell. We glorify God, not just in the results we get from work. We glorify God in the work itself. And Paul helps us in this passage of Scripture today. Paul helps us understand how we can be working for the Lord even when we're not working in the church. This passage of Scripture is going to help us understand how we can glorify God in our work, not just on a Sunday morning. This passage of Scripture is going to help us understand how we can make work an act of worship to the Lord. How we can be working for the Lord even when we're not working in the church. Okay? This is what he's about to teach us what, how, to, how, to, how to live out this Christian calling on our life to work. So let's read this passage of Scripture together. I'm going to break it down real simply. And, um, and there's so much more. I'll be honest with you guys. I started studying this passage of Scripture, and I did a real cursory examination, and I thought to myself, oh, this would be easy. As I started thinking about the ramifications of this, I was getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and I kept thinking, oh, man, I don't know where to stop. So I've, I've tried to boil it down a lot, okay? You're going to go home and read this, and I hope, and go over it again in your mind. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you're going to see so much more in it than I'm able to present to you in the next, I will say 20 minutes, but I know I'm lying. Okay, here we go. Let's read it. Slaves, oh, slaves, that's what I feel like. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human matters, masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I think that's the heart of that little passage. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Say it with me. It is the Lord Christ you are personalizing. It is the Lord Christ I am serving. It is the Lord Christ... I am serving. Thank you. Anyone who does, uh, where are we? I'm, I'm, I skipped something, did I? No, I did. Anyone who does wrong will be re repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, 
because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to be here today. I pray that somehow our perspective regarding work would change if it needs to be changed. Help us to see that every part of our life has been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and everything we do now is an act of worship to the one who purchased us with his own blood. Help us to see how important this part of our life is, that this isn't just a, an add-on part of our life, but this is a way we can, we can worship you, God. It's a way we can express to you our gratitude for all you've done to, for us. I pray, God, that as we, as we spend time in this Word, that you would get me out of the way, that you would help, uh, you would speak through me, that you would uh, help me convey to, to these wonderful people the glorious truths of your gospel so that we can be a light in this darkness, this dark age that we live in, that we could bring life to people who are in despair and lifeless. This is for you, Jesus. This is for you. Speak to us through your word, through, through the, 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 the voice of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, God, and change us as we spend time here together. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to point out for you briefly, as briefly as I can, four ways that we can work for the Lord even when we're not in church even when we're not working for the church, the first thing is this. If we're going to glorify the Lord, if we're going to be working for the Lord, we've got to work by obeying our boss. Work by obeying our boss. Verse 22 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, I want we, we've got to stop for just a moment and talk about uh, Slavery as it was practiced in the, in the New Testament days when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Colossae. Let's just talk about slavery for just a minute so we can get some context into the commands that Paul is giving to us today as well. The Bible never condones slavery. The Bible doesn't condone slavery. So let's drive that ugly teaching that hangs out there, that, hung, uh, that, uh, that ugly... Uh, accusation that hangs out there. The Bible never condoned slavery. It was just the cultural reality of the day and Paul was speaking to it, okay? So never, never let somebody tell you, well, you know, the things have changed, man. The Bible was like, the Bible was all about slavery. No, the Bible was never about slavery. It's just the fact that was the reality of the day and these folks were, were receiving teaching that helped them cope with the reality of the day, okay? The Bible is also teaching us today how to cope with the reality of the stuff we face. All right? So you take those principles from it and you apply it to where we are today. So the Bible doesn't condone slavery. It was just a cultural reality of the time. The second thing we need to understand about slavery is this. People could become slaves in all different kinds of ways. And sometimes it was through no fault of their own. For instance, uh, they could, uh, a, a person could become a slave by being born into slavery. Or a person could become a slave because he was sold into slavery by his parents. Think about that for just a minute, how cruel a world that must have been. Or a person could become a slave in order to pay off a debt. But there were any number of ways for people to find themselves serving as slaves in, the, in a master's household. And in that day, slaves were considered to be objects, property. They weren't people. They weren't considered to be persons, they were considered to be property. They had no rights. They could be discarded or killed for any reason whatsoever. They were completely at the, master of, at the, uh, at the mercy of the slave owner. 
okay? And also back in that day, historians estimate that 30 to 40% of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. That means nearly 60 million people in that day would have been living in slavery to somebody else, considered not to be people, but to be property. Many of those slaves became Christian. Let's, let's blow your mind a little bit. More than likely, more than likely, most of the early church were slaves. They were in bondage. Man, you can only imagine how the teaching of freedom in Christ and the, the great reward that lay ahead in heaven must have inspired them and motivated them and captivated their imagination and their hearts. In spite of my bondage, I'm free in Christ. Right? And that's why so many became Christian. To think that the God of the universe didn't see them as slaves, as property, Instead, he saw them as people. He saw them as his sons and his daughters, chosen and holy and dearly loved. It gave them value in a world that wouldn't give them value at all. Does that make sense? Man, that's a liberating teaching when you get hold of it, is it not? So, so many of the early church, maybe a majority of the early church, were slaves in bondage to someone else. So I imagine now, I imagine... When, when Paul commanded the slaves in Colossae to obey their earthly ma masters, I imagine it didn't sit very well with them. I'm supposed to obey this dude that's mistreating me? I'm supposed to listen to what he says? I'm supposed to submit myself to this cruelty? To this injustice? I imagine a lot of you don't like hearing the same thing when you think about the boss that you work for today, right? You mean I'm supposed to obey my boss? I'm supposed to listen to what he says? I'm supposed to do the best I can to submit to his authority over my life? Well, at least you're not a slave. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Romans 13 reminds us that no authority exists unless God puts it there. Here's a tough teaching. No authority exists unless God puts it there. Romans 13:1 says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So when we as employees obey our bosses, we're also obeying God who put them in authority over us, like it or not. When we honor them, we are, in effect, honoring God who placed them there. Now, I know what you're thinking. Just as those slaves were thinking, oh, man, you've got to be kidding. I imagine a lot of you were thinking to yourself, but Mark, you don't know my boss. He's an idiot. I get that. I just, I'm asking you to remember this. Your boss may be an idiot, but God made that idiot your boss. <laughs> and you're thinking, Mark, you have no idea. 
I started thinking to myself as I was preparing for this, all the jobs I've had over the years, I mean, I don't want to, I, don't, I can't mention them all because I probably have forgotten some, but let's just say I was a door-to-door -door salesman as a college freshman. I worked in a nursing home as an orderly. I know what you're going through, bro. Um, I have been a courier for law firms, so I know what Richard's going through when he's driving a truck. And Mark, I have worked in the courthouse as a bailiff, so I kind of get what all you guys in law enforcement have to deal with every day. I also know what you guys who have been on the other side of law enforcement <laughs> have to deal with. I'm now teaching in a high school classroom Monday through Friday, so if you're in education, hey, I get you. I feel you. I've worked retail. I've been a clerk at JCPenney. Yes. I have managed a transportation program, so I get it when I'm talking a little bit to employers and those that have to hire and fire. Been, done that, been there, got the t-shirt, got rid of it a long time ago. I, I, I mean, so you, I, listen, I'm having to live this stuff out too. I've got a boss. I, I'm married to my boss. No, no. Okay. I, I want you to remember, man, listen, your boss may be an idiot, but God made that idiot your boss. When you see him Monday morning, you tell him that. Tell him my pastor said this. No, no, do that. But here's the cool thing, man. We live in a different, our reality is somewhat different than the slaves. They couldn't do anything about the reality they were in. We can. And that's the glorious thing about where we are as a, as a country and as a culture. Unlike slaves, we can say no, and we should say no, to immoral or unethical commands. When they did it, they lost their lives. When we do it, we just lose a job. Some of you have taken stands like that, and you've lost your jobs because you refuse to do what the boss had commanded you to do because it was immoral or unethical, and I applaud you. You don't have to do anything unethical or immoral ever in this country. You've got to face the consequences when you choose not to. You may lose your job, but at least you're not losing your life, right? And unlike slaves, when we're having some conflicts with the boss, we can at least approach the boss as a human being and express ourselves. Now, there may be fallout from that. We may find ourselves being demoted or whatever the case may be, but at least we can do it without fear of losing our lives or something worse, being flogged. Thank God your boss doesn't have the power to flog you. How many of you think your boss, given the opportunity, would love to flog you every once in a while? Yeah, that's what I'm afraid. <laughs> Bill's back there raising his hand. Bill's <laughs> no. We'll talk, Bill. We'll talk about that. And unlike slaves, we can quit, and we can move on to find another job. Slaves didn't have that option. I mean, they were in it. So, I mean, come on, guys. Put yourself in those slaves' shoes for just a moment. When Paul was telling them, you need to obey your, your master, they're like, you've got to be kidding. At least we can say, you know what? I'll give it a shot. Listen, here's what, here's what I think Paul's trying to say to us in our cultural reality today. We can never, as followers of Christ, 
dishonor or disrespect our bosses. We are to respect them and honor them as the authorities that God has placed over us for such a time as this, recognizing that if there is some kind of unethical, immoral thing being asked, well, we're not going to do that because we submit to a higher authority. Right? We can never disrespect or dishonor our boss because if we do, we are disrespecting and dishonoring God who made that person our boss. We can't become defiant or insubordinate toward our boss because if we do, then we're being defiant or, dis or insubordinate toward God who made him the boss. Listen, if you obey God, let's bring this to an end. If you obey God by obeying your boss, you're really working for the Lord. If you obey God by obeying your, you're really working for the Lord. Titus 2, 9 and 10 says this. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Here's why. Because then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. You see, when you obey God by obeying the boss, your work attitude, your work ethic becomes a sermon that can win souls to the Lord, maybe even your boss. You're working for the Lord when you're obeying your boss. You're also working for the Lord when you work to please the Lord and not your boss. And not just your boss, maybe I should say it that way. Verse 22 says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Verse 24 says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Here's what I want to talk about real briefly. This is the truth that I believe is here, and I want to somehow emphasize it. You see, work itself, the work that you do itself, is an expression of worship to the Lord when it's done to please the Lord and not just your boss. Work itself is an act of worship to the Lord when it's done for the Lord and not just your boss. Here, here's what I, just, just for a moment, I want you to think about this. See, when Christ redeemed your life, when Christ redeemed your life, he redeemed it all, every part of it. Redeem means to purchase or to buy back. With his blood, Christ purchased your entire life from its bondage to sin, death, and hell. Christ's sacrifice gives you a new life, a new identity, Christ's sacrifice makes you a brand new person and it sets you free. And the Bible says the only reasonable response to Christ's generous payment for your life is to give your entire life back to him as an expression of gratitude. The old reformers put it this way. The gospel, they, they essentially broke it down into three things. If we need to understand these three things if we're going to live the life that God wants us to live. First of all, we have to understand how guilty we are before God. We are all sinners and we deserve death, hell, and the grave. That's what we ought to get. But God, in his grace, paid the price for our sin. And if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died on that cross as payment for our sin, we are forgiven of that sin and we're set free. Guilt, grace, but the third part of it is this, gratitude. You see, if we understand how guilty we were, if we understand how awesome and amazing grace is, the only reasonable response for us then as followers of Christ is to live our lives in gratitude to God for what he has done for his mercy and his goodness 
and his faithfulness to us. Does that make sense? Guilt, grace, and gratitude. So the only reasonable way we should respond to God who gave his only begotten son for us, his very best, is to give God in return our very best, our whole life. And frankly, in my case, my whole life isn't worth all that much, but it's really all I got. So Lord, here it is. That's exactly what Romans 12.1 says. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And I love the way the Message Bible has interpreted this. When it, when, when it says, uh, again, Romans 12.1 says this, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. That is our reasonable response to all God. You get that, right? God has redeemed all of us. Our entire life, he has brought it under the, under the precious blood of Christ. So we no longer live to please other people. We no longer live to please even ourselves. We live now to please the Lord, to express our gratitude to him for the freedom we now enjoy in Christ Jesus. You get that? Okay. We live to please the Lord, even on the job. Even on the job. We don't work to please the boss there. We work to please the Lord there. Whatever we do at work, we do it to please the Lord. We, I tell you what, this is what I'm praying for you guys. I've been praying it all week, and I hope, I hope the Lord answers this prayer. I believe he will. I want you to go to work tomorrow with a brand new attitude in your mind and your heart. I want you to show up tomorrow morning seeing your workplace as a sacred space. I want you to go to work tomorrow morning seeing your desk as a holy place, a place of sacrifice where you offer yourself and all that you are to the Lord, not to your boss, to the Lord. Do with me here everything you want me to do, Lord. Use my hands, my feet, my mouth to glorify your name in the work I offer to this employer. Glorify yourself in me through my job. You see, we need to see our jobs as opportunities to express gratitude to God for his goodness and his grace. We need to see the ordinary tasks that we're given, like sweeping and mopping and changing diapers and turning wrenches as acts of worship to God. You, I, I hope you begin to see that. We need to see, we need to see studying for a test, grading papers, preparing presentations, and handling angry customers as opportunities to serve the Lord with excellence. We're working to please the Lord. If you work to please the Lord, you're working for the Lord, no matter what task he might have placed in your hand to do. I know a lot of you guys think, man, if, but if I were working church stuff, man, I'd be studying the Word of God all the time, and I'd be praying and singing. Can I tell you the very first task that was handed to me as, as on the first day of my uh, first full-time ministry job in a church, you know what I did? I sat down, and for an hour, I got to talk with my pastor, and I was so stoked about being in Clanton, Alabama, to be their youth and worship pastor. And we talked, and I was trying to ask him questions in which he would give me his vision for the church and that kind of stuff. And so we talked, and it was a great conversation. Then I said, well, pastor, what do you want me to do? He said, you know anything about toilets? Yeah. 
and I made a mistake. I told him, yeah, I think so. And he said, well, there's a toilet back here. I can't get it to stop leaking. Would you go back there and fix that? And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> All you guys in ministry know what I'm talking about. You guys, some, some of you guys have never, you only show up for work on Sundays. Okay. You live in that fantasy world if you want to. But Listen, man. So I fixed that toilet. That was my first official act as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll take you back to that toilet. It, it, between you and me, that toilet became an altar. I knelt beside that toilet and tried to figure out what was wrong with it. And I, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, is this what ministry is? And he, in his own sweet way, said, welcome home, son. <laughs> I'm just saying, some of y'all got it easy. Enjoy the job God's given you. He could have called you ministry instead, okay? I'm, no, 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 it's been a fun life. It's been, it's been a fun life. It's been an adventure. Uh, I, I just, I, I, really, I really hope that when you go to work tomorrow morning, you're going to see your job for what it is. It's an opportunity to show Jesus how much you appreciate what he's done for you, how good he is to you in providing an opportunity for you to serve him in this way. I know too often we go and we think, well, this is a dead-end job. It's never going to take me anywhere. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, you have no idea what God's going to do. He turns, I love this song, he turns water into wine. He takes the ordinary and does something extraordinary with it. He is a miraculous God, and he will take you. He will, if you will prove faithful in the little things, he has promised to entrust even more to you. You just be faithful. You worship him in every possible way you can at work, no matter how menial, ordinary, and disgusting the task may be, he is going to use that thing for your good and his glory. Can you trust him with it? He's redeemed your whole life. Listen, he has redeemed your life, your whole life. He doesn't want just the two hours you give him on a Sunday morning. He wants you 24-7, 365, okay? He wants your life. He'll work through your life. It's his life. Your body is no longer your own, 1 Corinthians says. It has been bought and paid for with a price. You're no longer a slave to unrighteousness. You are now a slave to righteousness. So everything you do, every word that comes out your mouth, I know those angry customers can get on your nerves. But you know what? Your word, a soft answer, turns away wrath. You may speak. You may be the only voice of encouragement that person hears that day. God brings you brings that angry person into your life, and before that conversation is over, you can turn it around, and God can use you to bring some grace and healing. I'm telling you guys, you've got to see your work as, a, as every part of your work as an expression of worship to the Lord. Lord, I'm giving you this. Sometimes I don't like it. I don't like turning that wrench. I didn't like fixing that toilet either. But you know what? Sometimes those are the jobs you're given, so do them with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I could go on. I, the Bible's so full of commands like that, and we just pass over them, don't think about them. 
It's because we have, we're, we're sometimes not real careful to apply them to where we are. The third thing I want you to know about work is this, and I, I'm going to try to bring it to a close here. Thir the third thing that we need to understand about work from this passage of Scripture is this. If you're going to work for the Lord, you need to work with all your heart. Work with all your heart. Work with all your heart. Verse 23 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, he just said it in verse 17. Why is he saying it again? Maybe because we need to hear it again. Work, with all, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. He just said that a minute ago. Why is he saying it again? Because we need to hear it again. We're working for the Lord. It's the Lord Christ we serve, not for human masters. That, that phrase, with all your heart, could be translated with enthusiasm. With enthusiasm. That means when we're at work, we should give it all of our energy and all of our attention. We should go about our business fully engaged, fully embracing the needs and the demands of that job. We should never look for a way to shirk or shrink back from those responsibilities. We should never hope to find a, a way to sneak out of here early. Boy, let me tell you about that for just a minute. No, we should, we should always be giving the very best we can bring to that job because we're working not for the boss, we're working for the Lord, for the Lord. You see, one way or another, this is the reality that we live in as the sons and the daughters of God. One way or another, when we work with all of our heart, it will eventually pay off. That's what we're promised. There's a, there's a reward that lies ahead, okay? Ephesians 6, 7, and 8 says it like this. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, here's the promise, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. You're not working for the boss. <laughs> the boss sometimes doesn't give you the re reward that you are hoping for. Anybody ever been passed over for that promotion or didn't get the raise you were expecting? Guess what? Earthly bosses are sometimes pretty unfaithful and, and, and not very considerate of their employees. But I promise you this, God saw that. And he's going to reward you in due season. Because even if the earthly boss fails to reward your hard work, Jesus takes careful notice of it. And one way or another, your hard work, your faithfulness to, to do your job will bring its reward, if not here on earth, then certainly in heaven to come. Right? So we're not working for the Lord. If, Listen, we never, we ought, we ought to always be working for the Lord. In church or outside the church, we're working for the Lord. But I, those are commands to those of us who are employees. Now I want to talk to those of you who may be employers, okay? There's one command I want to throw your way, and I want you to think about it, meditate on it. Those of you who are bosses, who, who actually has people that you supervise on your job? Anybody? Okay, a couple hands going up. Oh, young Young one over here having, okay, well, Kelvin, this is for you, because Bill's already learned this lesson. Bill is, is a great example of how to do it right. <laughs> to those of us who are bosses and supervisors and employees, employers, the Bible has some instructions for us as well, and it's really simple. Be just and fair. Be just and be fair. Be just and be fair. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. It, it was this teaching that drew so many slaves into the kingdom of God. It attracted them 
because it was this kind of teaching that was so anti, uh, antithetical to the way the world conducts business. The doctrines of Christianity, the teaching of the Bible, required Christian slave owners to treat their slaves with respect and dignity. If you read the little book of Philemon, you will see that Paul is, is, is uh, telling Philemon to return back to his owner, to his master. Philemon was a runaway slave. Paul instructs him to go back to his master with this little letter in hand, and Paul instructs the slave owner to receive, Onis uh, to receive uh, Philemon as a brother. So you have in this, in this incredibly hierarchical world with slaves and, and slave owners, you, you have in Christianity a community, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, a family. And in, although slavery was not eradicated back in that day, there was instead... Uh, through Christian teaching, a family created where everyone was given dignity, everyone was given respect, everyone was considered to be part and parcel of the community, regardless of their social standing and the culture around them. So, so, so here's what attracted slaves so much to Christianity back in the day. Those Christian slave owners were required to treat their slaves with dignity and respect. They were, those Christian bosses were taught that God expected them to be just and fair in dealing with those who worked for them. There was a blessing in it. If you treat your brothers and sisters fairly, then God will bless you. He will smile upon you. He will, he will I, and you can go to other passages of Scripture to see this, He will reward you for representing Him well to the people who work for you. You see, the underlying, and this is what I also want you to get, bosses. This is, this is for you specifically, but for all of us as well. The underlying Christian ethic for all human relationships is summed up by Jesus in Matthew 7, 12. This is the underlying ethic, okay? This is for all of us, but particularly for bosses who have people they manage or supervise. In everything, say that with me, in everything. Say it again, in everything. Is anything left out there? No. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Now think about how you, as an employer, would be affected by that, should be affected by that teaching. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, we call that the golden rule, right? America would say, he who has the gold makes the rules. He who has the gold makes the rules. You guys get that? Oh, that's as completely unbiblical as I can think of. The golden rule says just the opposite. Everyone is everyone. This rule applies to everyone. Treat everyone as you would want to be treated yourself. So even as a boss, guys, can I, let me just throw out a couple ways this might apply to you. The golden rule summarizes how we as Christ followers should treat other people as managers, as employers. Are you paying your employees what you would be paying yourself for doing that same job? I hope so. Would you discipline this employee the same way you would discipline yourself if you had made the same mistake? Would you place the same expectation on yourself if you were this employee? 
I mean, listen, in God's economy, and that's really the economy we function in, in God's economy, I'm glad I'm in God's economy, not America's. America's goes like this. God's is like, Oof. you know what the rules are, and the rules don't change, and you can enjoy it, and you can feel secure in it. God takes care of his people, amen? amen? All right, I've always found that to be true. I hope you have too. In God's economy, the way we treat the people who work for us, bosses, is far more important than our profit margin. And all of you employees, people who are working for somebody else, you should be thinking to yourself, amen, go get them, Pastor Mark. People are more important than profit in God's economy. Relationships are more important in God's economy than the bottom line, Mr. Employer, Mr. Boss. And our stewardship, Mr. Boss, of the human capital that God entrusts to us is far more important to him than that financial bottom line. I'm telling you, when it's all said and done, people won't care how much money you made. They're going to care about how well you treated them as people. So bosses, be just and fair to your employers, employees, okay? Now, having said all that, I have no idea how to conclude this sermon. But I was thinking, as I was praying about it, I had at least half a dozen conversations with people in this room and other people about their jobs this week. Some of them are struggling. Either they don't like the job and they wish they were doing something else, or they're in conflict with their boss right now and they don't know how to handle it. You might be one of those. You might be one of those struggling in some way with the job you find yourself in right now. You may be struggling. You may be in conflict not just with your boss, but maybe it's with some coworkers. I want to spend just a few minutes this, this, as we close. I want us to sing some worship songs that help us focus our attention and our affection on Jesus. But really what I want you to do is take what I've attempted to share with you today, the principles I've tried to lay out for you today, and ask yourself, how does this apply to me and the job I'm in right now? You see, the thing is, we hope not to be in the job we're in right now forever. I understand that. I've been in jobs like that. But this is where God has placed you for now. When you go to work tomorrow morning, or maybe even this afternoon, when you show up, will you see that workplace as your sacred space? Will you see that desk as an altar in which you can offer your life to the Lord again as a living sacrifice? Will you see that menial task that so bores you? Will you see that as, as an act of worship to the Lord? Will, it, will, you, will your mind see, see your job as God sees your job? Because, man, you're going to spend, many of us, at least 40 hours over the next week on the job. Do you see that God has redeemed you called you by name and he has given you this job so that you can use so he can use this job to form the character of Christ in you.
to shape you, to make you the person he wants you to be? Do you understand that when you show up for that job, you are still his son and his daughter, although the boss may not treat you like that? That he is using that job to, to shape your character, to form in you the image of Christ. Will you be able to see those tasks as being acts of worship to the Lord? That's really what they are. Let me tell you something. I struggle with that too. Trust me, when I go into work on Monday morning, thank God it's spring break. Hallelujah. Tristan's here, and I've got a couple other kids that have been in my classes. Some of them aren't here today that aren't still in classes. When I show up on a Monday morning, I can tell you I'm not in the best frame of mind. Usually Sundays wipe me out emotionally, spiritually, every other way. I'm wiped, physically wiped out on Monday mornings when I show up to work. And I have to get early to my job I, I, because I spend those first few minutes just praying. God, help me to get my mind right. Help me to get my attitude right. I want to be, I want to, re- every morning, this is my prayer, I want to represent you well to these students, to these parents, to these other teachers. I just want to represent you well. And I'm not in the frame of mind right now to do it very well. You're going to have to help me. You know, anybody else identify with that? Okay. Then like me, what you have to do is just offer, again, your whole life to the Lord. You have redeemed every part of it. These hands have been redeemed by God to serve Him and to serve other people. These feet have been redeemed by God to take you to places God wants you to go so you can share the gospel with Him. This mouth that you've been given has been redeemed by God to be used to speak life and healing into other people. These eyes have been redeemed by God so that you can see other people as God sees them, speaking to what's best in them and drawing it out. Your whole life has been redeemed for the glory of God, not just on a Sunday morning. You're only going to spend a couple hours here. A lot of people are here today because somehow, you know, they think that they're doing their duty before God. Oh, no, 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 no. You've missed the point. If you think this is fulfilling your obligation to God, you've only got a partial picture of what God really wants to do through your life. Every word you speak, everything you do, every wrench you turn, every sweep of that broom, every diaper you change, He wants you to do it for Him, for His glory. You're always working for the Lord. Always working for the Lord. Your boss may be signing that paycheck, and it may not be what you want it to be, but one day, one day when you stand before the Lord, He has a whole city prepared for you. A mansion with your name on it. And He's going to hug you. Welcome home. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter the joy that's been prepared for you. I don't know about you. My paycheck may not be very much right now, but one day the smile on Christ's face and that hug he gives me, that's going to be worth it all.